I was lucky enough to be invited to go and meet the brand and social team at KFC. And one of the people that I met there, along with the team at Rocket, was a man called Josh. And Josh has worked for KFC for about five years. And I think he's taken KFC on quite an interesting journey. You'll hear us discuss his role in shifting the brand perception of KFC. But also, you'll hear a lot in this chat that we have with him about the launch of the KFC Gaming brand. They've launched it as a standalone brand, as its own social strategy, its own influencer strategy. And the point when we first started with this series of podcasts was to get as many brand marketers on as it was to talk to other people that have affected change and affected the behaviours of youth audiences. So this is Josh Benj from KFC. We talk about his background, we get to know him, we talk about his professional life and KFC gaming, and then we ask Josh Benj from KFC for his rocket fuel. So the first thing to say is Josh Benj from KFC, thank you very much for doing this week's edition of Rocket Fuel. Thank you for having me. No worries. So Josh First thing, first section of the podcast is to get to know you. Why don't you bring to life your career thus far? How have you ended up with this job title of Brand Engagement Manager, Social Gaming and Partnerships at KFC? What's taken you to, what What have been the twists and turns to get you there? <laughs> sure, okay. I think um, my title is a lengthy one and it'll probably take some explanation, but I guess in essence... Yeah, I look after social media for KFC, and that includes gaming and our influencer program and our partnership program. I kind of fell into social, really. I I always knew that I wanted to get into marketing. Um, I didn't quite know what type of marketing I wanted to get into. Um, And I joined an agency, a very small digital agency, who are digital and social focused um, as an account executive. And I started off looking at Banner ads, websites. Uh, I was I was working on Sea World or Sea Life in the UK. I was um, filling the content on their website and stuff like that. So very very digital focused stuff. Uh, it was interesting. It was fun. It was fine. But um, within a few weeks, uh, an opportunity arose in the social team for Pepsi Max, and I thought, oh, this mm. sounds interesting. This this could be this could be a bit of me. Still within the agency. Yes. Sorry. Okay. Yes. So uh, on the Pepsi team, they represented the um, whole PepsiCo portfolio. So. Wow. I moved on to their social team to become a community executive, which essentially means I was tweeting on behalf of the brands. So yep. Pepsi Max, Doritos, Gatorade, uh, Mountain Dew, um, all very fun, quite forward, fast-paced brands, which was good. And you were given quite a lot of license to... You, you had to work within brand guidelines. I think lots of people think social content, particularly organic social content, is quite an easy thing. Quote, unquote, just tweeting on behalf of a brand. And uh, and you just said something similar. But actually, there's a real art to, that, to it, isn't there? Yeah, it, it's, um, it takes a while to get used to. And, and it takes quite a lot of confidence building to be able to confidently speak on behalf of these huge brands to the entire world as such. Because if a tweet does go wrong, that's that can be in the press and that can be a global thing. And you've seen that happen in the past. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it can take a while to build some confidence up in that. And I think what what's quite difficult being agency side um, is that I had several clients that I was working on and I was tweeting on behalf of several different brands who have very different tone of voices and ways of speaking. So right. 
cutting your cloth um, in the early stages in, in that world is quite tricky and, and developing a tone of voice for each of these brands is quite hard. And you tend to find with some of the bigger brands that have a head office in the States, they, they have much more control around what you can and can't say. So we, we had quite a lot of freedom, but there was often quite a few approval processes to get through as well if we ever wanted to be a bit more risque. Okay. Give us an example. Sorry, I'm fascinated by this. Mm. Does, so what, Doritos are slightly posher than Pepsi Max, are they? Can <laughs> bring, bring one difference in tone to life, if you um, I can kind of go through them, I guess. Pepsi Max has that kind of uh, cool older brother. Yeah. Like when they're going up against Coke, who are very wholesome and family and altogether... Pepsi went for the kind of cool older brother edgy vibe. Um, that was kind of easier. That that was more just speaking in a social tone that, yep. that the general public does. At the time, Doritos uh, had a mariachi band <laughs> representing all of their advertising. Wow. That was more difficult. Yes. Having to speak and uh, as a mariachi band may speak was tough. I've got grand visions of you meeting the person in other territories that's tweeting on behalf of the mariachi band in other territories. Um, that would be amazing if the mariachi band could get together across the globe of uh, through the other people that are writing social content. Yeah, I mean that would have been that would have been uh, probably would have helped us out a little yeah, bit to be indeed. honest. Um, but no, I, I didn't. Unfortunately, I didn't get to meet the mariachi band. Fine, uh, they, they were switching to their new. Um, strategy for the bold, I think, okay. something along those lines, um, uh, as as I transitioned uh, I while see. I was on the account. So they, we were just losing the mariachi band uh, as I joined, which was a shame. And how long were you at the agency, and then what made you jump to KFC? Um, I was there for about two years, uh, mm. and I, I really did love my time there. I think being in such a small specialist agency, yeah, there are some incredibly talented people there, so you learn really quickly. Yep. Um, and I, I wasn't really looking to leave. I was there for about 18 months. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I spotted something on LinkedIn. Somebody approached me. Um, and they didn't tell me the brand, but they said it was a major restaurant in the UK. Um, and it was in-house. And that that's what kind of piqued my interest. It was exactly the same job title, but it was working in-house for a brand, which I don't think at the time, and and still really to this day, not many brands are doing. There's not many brands who have their social execs in-house. Most of them outsource it to an agency. Yep. So that really interested me. So I gave I gave them a shout and they said it was KFC and they didn't need to say anything else. <laughs> I was in. So you've always been a KFC fan, have you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's one of those one of those treats on a Friday or a Saturday. Um that I've always I've always loved. So getting the chance to work on a brand like that was was fantastic. Cool. And the team at KFC that you're in is how big? Well the marketing team in total is is probably around 30 40 people yeah um i'm in what we call the brand engagement team which is kind of where my title comes from um and that includes several mini teams um, being the social team which is made up of three people um the pr team which is two people um sustainability uh, public affairs and customer care they all sit within the brand engagement team and is there a commonality in behavior is there a trait that links the team together and and what characteristics do you think are vitally important in the people that you work with? That's a very good question. And I think the answer is yes. I think if you look at the team, we're all very close friends. And I think that's for a good reason. You know, we are, we're all very similar people. We have a similar outlook in life. And KFC is very, very um, hot on culture and the culture of the brand and the culture that you feel when you work for the brand. And it's a really nice and pleasant place to work. Um, and you feel that in the team. And I think everyone that works for us, when you first call up KFC for your interview with the HR team, the first call isn't looking at your skills or your experience. It's a culture fit. So they are looking for 
does this person fit the culture of the business? And if they do, then you go through to the proper interviews. Um, so it says a lot for the people that you work with and a lot for the brand. And yeah, I, I think working in the team that we do, especially across social and PR, and to some extent, actually, um, customer care, increasingly so, there there has to be a sense of humor. For KFC especially, the tone of voice we bring, there has to be a sense of humor um, amongst the people that you work with and and an ability to get that across on behalf of a brand. And why is the sense of why is the sense of humour so important? Because things things are always going wrong, or things are always going well, or it's important to share the successes. Why why do you think that's so vital to a to a good day at work and to fellow team members? Um, well, I think from from an internal point of view, of course, it's um, it's morale and those kind of things. But really, what, what I mean is is from an external point of view. If you look at, we'll get, I'm sure we'll get onto this a bit later, but the, the tone of voice that we carry, and you'll hear me harp on about tone of voice a lot as we speak. Um, the, co- the tone of voice that KFC has carries a lot of humor in it, a lot of wit, and it's, it can be quite a difficult, um, it can be quite a difficult tone of voice to pick up if it doesn't come naturally, I think. Okay. Um, and that's really important to us. And in work, what are you known for? Personally? Yeah. Um... Uh, I, I would I would say um, without being too egotistical, it would be uh, the humour and wit that I bring into the channels and and some of the creativity that that we bring out. It's it's uh, it's an exciting job and it's always full of opportunities and it's a very very interesting job to have and you never know what's going to come next. So being able to think quickly and cleverly and be quite funny is is quite hard to do. So yeah. And how do you like to manage people and how do you like to be managed? Um. We, we being a company and myself, we tend to use the term coaching. So okay. I think we, we don't like to manage. We don't like to be on top of people. We prefer to coach and we will give people their own freedom and um, coach them as and when they need it. Um, it. I think it's important to be able to have your own space. And if you look at some of the things that we get away with <laughs> on, our, on our channels, um, that is purely because of the trust that we're given throughout the company to um, to myself and to my team and, and from right the way through. So, um, yeah, that, that, that's kind of how we prefer to do things. Okay. And um, probably penultimate question in this section is um, how good are you at switching off? Because I'm sure it's hard work. I'm sure that keeping on top of your workload is 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 one thing and I'm, I'm sure thinking about what's next and how to develop the brand and how to develop you. But, yeah, how do you go about switching off? Uh, it is a good question. Social media never switches off, uh, and neither does KFC. There's only one or two days a year that the restaurant is actually closed, right. so it, it can be difficult. Um, we live in an always-on world, and the brand is always on, and social is always on, and, and I do love that. So fully switching off it, it can be quite difficult, actually. Um, but it's not... that the, the People speak a lot about work-life balance and, and trying to get that right, and for me, it doesn't feel like I'm working as such if I'm just scrolling through some tweets and sending some silly stuff out. Um, so I wouldn't, I, I'm not concerned about it, but I do not switch off that often. And we'll come on to this more with when we go into detail about the role and about the brand. But how much of your current job is about being reactive and how much is being proactive? And and how often do those things change on a daily basis? <laughs> sure. I think if you had a presentation at an agency and a slide, you'd probably say um, we 
we plan about 60%, 70% of our content, okay. um, and the rest is reactive. Uh, in reality, the vast majority is reactive, but they tend to just be a tweet. So it's not content production. I see. Yeah, I see. And does that rather suit you? Do you like being able to to almost have the security of knowing the direction you're going in? Uh, yes and no. I think I like to have a content plan in front of me where I can see everything that's coming up over the next few weeks. Absolutely. But then at the same time, the best performing content is always the stuff that is reactive and reacting to something that's happening in the real world and jumping on it quickly. That is always the most successful. So Josh, before we end this section, bring to life how you unwind, bring to life how you let your hair down, bring to life what happens. Give us bring to life something about you outside of the workplace. Um well, uh shameless plug, I do actually have my own podcast. Oh okay. Um, yeah, it, it's not it's not like this. It's a uh it's a comedy chat show with three best friends from school. Um Believe me when I say that we use the term comedy loosely. Okay. <laughs> we're not professionals. We, we like to think we're funny. I think our mum tells us that we are from time to time. Our What's it called? Uh, it's called The Stodgy Waffle. Okay. Um, and it's, yeah, three best friends who we, we tackle a few random and interesting topics. I think what we wanted to avoid was um, it being people shooting the breeze. We wanted it to be, we, we, we structured it almost like a radio show. I think if you look at um, the old Ricky Gervais podcasts from back in the day with Steve Merchant mm-hmm. and Carl Pilkington, it kind of takes a leaf out of their book where we'll tackle some weird and wonderful um, scenarios. Then we've got some comp- like uh, challenges and competitions that we do. And then we've got a really weird repeating feature at the end of each episode that we bring back each time. Um, so yeah, it's just good fun, really. Good one to switch off to. So section two of the podcast is to get under the skin of our guests' work, their role, and the organisation that they're representing. Why don't we start, Josh, with KFC as an organisation? It's funny, I don't have that much of a direct relationship with the brand. I think we were, forgive me if I'm allowed to say this in front of you, we were McDonald's kids. So the McDonald's we went to was in Reading opposite the Halfords. Mm -hmm. And we used to get to go and play on the bike bells afterwards. That was a great Saturday afternoon out. KFC was slightly further down the road and tough to get to. We occasionally went to. I didn't, it's a funny one, KFC, because it's always been there. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think it's always been as cool and as aspirational a brand as it is now. Would you think that's fair to say? Uh, I'm I'm actually very happy that you have said that because it's something that we focused on a lot over. So I've been there for five years, I should have mentioned. Um, But yeah, we focused on that a lot as a brand. And we realized three or four years ago after some quite heavy consumer research that was quite... um, frightening at the time that there were many perceptions about the brand that were either untrue or or vastly exaggerated um and one of those was that we were an outdated brand of the past mm. uh, you know we've been in the country for 53 54 years wow. now um there's around 900 restaurants but a lot of them were starting to look quite tired and old yep. we weren't really doing anything on social or any modern channels and from a marketing perspective um and our advertising had become a bit dated as well so it's been a huge, huge focus of us to, to try and modernise the brand and become relevant. And I mean, our logo, our logo slash founder is, is an old man. So, yep. you know, there's challenges there. And um, it's been a huge focus of ours to try and modernise the brand and become relevant again. And you're saying that this is a process that certainly within the UK has only been happening over the last four or five years? Um, I think it's it's been happening for a while, but it's only been a true focus over the last sort of four or five years. And... 
bring to life some of those steps? Do you specifically target one subsection of audience and then hope for some kind of trickle effect? Do you talk to lots of different audiences in the same way, lots of different audiences in different ways? Bring, bring to life some of the, the, the strategy, if you like. Sure. I think it's, it's a hard one um, for the brand as a whole because we are, we are relatively household and pretty much everybody eats at KFC. So targeting um, above the line comms can be a bit more tricky because we kind of want everyone to come. We don't want to target too narrow. Uh, because we want everybody to come to the restaurant. So that, that can be a bit difficult. But I think something we've we've started to do on social um, is change the way in which we target and the groups we target and the people that we target. Um, traditionally, our food was advertised towards families, um, individuals and youth, um, which is fine in practice. But when you start to translate translate that onto digital, People don't consume digital media in that way. You don't scroll through Facebook as a family or as a youth or um, an individual. That's not how you consume content. You yeah. consume, you, you social, you create your own space and you curate it and with things that you're interested in. Uh, for example, mine is filled with football and UFC mm. and food and not much else and funny videos. <laughs> that's, mm. about the, that's about the crux of things that I follow. But everybody's is completely individual. So targeting in that sense, and even in the production of content in that sense, doesn't really work. So we, um, as a brand, did some social listening research again and took a look at um, all of our audiences and our followers and their interests and what, what it is that gets them really going. And we, we kind of found four main territories that we look at. Okay. Um, the first of those is foodies, which, I mean, go figure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That makes complete sense. Um, but on top of that, you had football, which was really interesting, uh, music and gaming, uh, which was massively over-indexing across mm. the KFC audience. So that gave us some territories for us to play in and start to target um, our production and I guess our media too on social and, and, and at the very least the conversation. Okay, let's drill down into some of those. Let's start with foodies. So foodies in what context? Because I think KFC... Is, is perhaps either a guilty pleasure or seen as a guilty pleasure. You're saying, how are you defining foodies in that instance, I suppose is what I'm saying. Sure. I mean, that's completely fair. And it's something that we actually try to tackle a little bit and, and try and prove our foodie credentials. Yeah, go on. Um, I mean, we define foodies as people who have an interest in food. And I, I guess, yes, that is broad. And, and anybody could say I have an interest in food. But um, anyone who kind of takes things a little bit further than just going to your normal supermarket, people who cook at home, people who go to restaurants and try out different things around the world, um, anyone who's just a slightly more above interest, a slightly higher interest in food than than everyone else. Um but the fact that we had an over-index in that was kind of complimentary to us. Mm. We're like, hey, well, this is great. People who have a higher interest in food are interested in our brand, which is fantastic. And if you look at um, in our team, in our innovation team, like these guys are incredible chefs and incredible nutritionists, and they know exactly what they're talking about, and they can make you anything. Um, and the perception is that because of the, uh, the brand that you probably wouldn't imagine that, I don't think. Um, no, but, but we really do, and there's a lot of a lot of development that goes into a lot of our products, and we're always trying to be a bit more foodie by so, nature. So let's jump on football and gaming mm -hmm. because football is an expensive place to get into, yes. particularly in the UK. 
So from a brand perspective, is that something that you consider? Do you consider brand partnerships with various footballers and then run in the other direction? Mm-hmm. How has your journey been gone and, and is it still going as far as, far as it relates to football? Um, there's a few, a few different ways I guess I could tackle that. And um, one of the ways is to look at football and gaming together. Okay. Um, football, as you said, is expensive and it's huge and it's crowded. And it's very difficult to get into. And if you look at KFC in the UK, we we have a very decentralized um, company where we are um, completely separate from the states and the other markets across the world, which comes with many pros and a few cons. Uh, The pros being that we have complete creative freedom and license and we can act as our own business, which is great. Um, The cons is that you, you don't have the pool of funding that you would have if you were global. So... We can't afford to work with the big name players or big sponsorships or brand um, uh, stadium branding and that kind of stuff. So to get into football is difficult. Um, we tend to do it through commentary on the social channels, more tweeting about things that are happening, um, commentary on uh, the clubs or games and things like that. We don't go too far into it. We want to make sure there's always a, a reason for us to be speaking about it. Okay. But it do- they always seem to perform really, really well. Um, usually, when you have a slight dig at, at one of the one of the teams, yep. it seems to work really well. Um, but gaming is huge, but almost the same size as football. But people just don't realise it yet, so it's much easier to get into. Um, many brands who are doing it, of which there's not many, but many brands who are doing it are doing it in the way that I think you would approach football. They'll go for a big sponsorship. They'll sponsor the big tournaments or the big teams or the big players um, and get mass exposure within that market, which is fine. But that's not really the approach that we like to take. So what are KFC doing? It was my next question anyway, but what are KFC doing in gaming? Because this is quite special, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, this is my my pet project and I love it. Uh, We... We've set up essentially what is a new brand, so KFC Gaming. It has um, social channels across all the major social channels, and we're working um, almost as a content publisher, but just on the commentary of gaming. So anything that's going on in the space, plenty of memes, um, any sort of gaming culture, any news reviews, um, and we're very much acting as the community. The thing with gaming is that it's a huge space, um, but they're brutal if you get it wrong. The other thing that occurs to me is that, and look, I work broadly for a youth marketing and youth content business, so I have some idea. But I think some of our listeners will be aware that gaming means a million different things to mm-hmm. a million different people. It, are we are we talking about 32-year-old men playing FIFA on PlayStations? Is, are we talking about 13-year-old people play. Do you know what I mean? What, mm-hmm. are, what are you talking about when you mean gaming? Yeah, okay, fair. I mean, gaming is, is hugely broad. And the numbers that we have, if you, it's one in two people could be classified as a gamer yep. in the UK. Yep. But that would include things like Candy Crush yep. um, and that stuff. That's not where we are. We are, um, you're, you're kind of your everyday gamer, but console, console and PC gamers, really. And, and we're kind of staying a little bit away from the esports um, extreme section of it I think when we very first sat in our strategy meeting of how we approach this we kind of came up with the analogy of Top Gear which is a specialist show about cars but it's not your like, your hyper like performance cars it's not the real detail um, it's more your everyman it's a show that everyone can enjoy um, if you like cars or not and that's kind of what we've tried to do with gaming we've tried to make it more accessible to everyone and this will manifest itself across your social channels 
but also in some of the social content you're creating as well. Is is that a fair summary? And in some of the influencer executions? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, well, we are treating it very much as its own brand. So it has its own content plan. It has its own content creation. It has its own influencer partners. Um, what we have, so as I mentioned, we haven't done traditional sponsorship, but we haven't um, bad, like badge slapped badge slapped anything what we have done is um built everything organically there's no traditional media spend um all of our reach is gained via influencers so the the entire um the entire reach program is through partnering with influencers so it's very much about being authentic not forcing our way in and being credible and leveraging the influencers credibility and authenticity too okay and in terms of the takeaways for people listening, and, um, and we'll come on to the kind of rocket fuel section in a mm-hmm. moment. But uh, I do want to stay with KFC Gaming because, one, I think it's quite special, and, two, it's something I know is a labour of love for you. Mm-hmm. But what what are brands doing where they do mess it up? Because you've said if brands mess it up or if brands look a bit like an uncle at a discotheque, uh, yeah. then, then it can go wrong. What are the pitfalls brands can fall into? Yeah, the gaming community are brutal and they will let you know if you get it wrong very, very quickly. Um, that was our first challenge as, as KFC Gaming was to, to combat the people who are saying, why are KFC doing gaming? That was the very first challenge we had. And we, we still to this day will get the occasional meme of someone saying silence brand, which happens all of the time. So everybody. <laughs> we only get it a handful of times, but um, less so than, than we thought we may. Yeah. Um, but I think where, where brands do go wrong... It, and it is very much in that kind of the sponsorship space. Like sponsoring um, a tournament or uh, a team is fantastic, and you do get exposure within within a hard to reach market um, for sure. But then there's no value exchange there. You're not adding any value. So if you do start to provide commentary um, that that comes out of place, that feels out of place, if your content is wrong, then you really, really get called out for it. Um, we're very fortunate that we have a, um, an agency who are gaming specialized and they are owned by an ex-professional gamer and an ex-professional YouTuber. So they know the industry inside out yep. um, and they can talk like about the absolute minutiae of a, a small time gamers like favorite hobby and stuff like that. So they really know what they're speaking about. Um, and a lot of brands will try and get into the space and not know exactly what they're speaking about. And that's where it goes wrong. OK. Question them more broadly from the KFC marketing team point of view, but also from a personal perspective, how much are you aware and how much, if anything, is driven by what the competition are doing? So do you do you occasionally look at a Burger King piece of activity and think, that's neat, I wish we'd mm-hmm. done something like that? And is it your job to be aware or, or can't you be thinking about the competition in the broader context? Uh, I mean, absolutely. We, we're always looking at those guys. The, the, the industry that we're in, the QSR market, is very fast-paced and very... Forgive me, QSR? Sorry, uh, quick service restaurant. Right, yeah. yeah. So um, we class ourselves as a quick service restaurant. Yeah. Um, and that will include your guys like Burger King, McDonald's, Subway, and, but even more growing into people like Greg's and even mm. even coffee shops and Starbucks. They're all becoming competition now. Um, anybody on the high street, anybody on a delivery website, anyone... Um, anyone that sells food is now kind of in the same category as yeah. us as, as, a, as a, com- a competitor. So um, we, we absolutely, we look at them. We try not to to base ourselves on their movements, but we do keep an eye on what they're up to. And you, you see a couple of them over in the States. I mean, it's a fast food war over there. Like we we stay out of it as much as possible, but they are um, 
Wendy's and Burger King are constantly attacking McDonald's. McDonald's tend not to respond, but, you know, it can happen from time to time. Um, we, we don't do that so much over here. Uh, we I have a bit more um, admiration, I guess, for some of the stuff that those guys do. Like Burger King have got a great team over there and um, they do some really, really great cultural stuff that yep. we are... Uh, we can be envious of sometimes, but okay. we always try to come up with our own. I think we're we're very acutely aware of the fact that the Burger King UK um, Twitter account holds the uh, biggest tweet by a brand ever. Is that right? Which one yeah. was that? Um, Kanye West tweeted uh, that McDonald's was his favorite restaurant, and Burger King responded with "explains a lot." <laughs> Super simple. And it absolutely flew. It went global. And it's the most liked tweet by a brand globally. So. And K- but KFC have had similar, but you'll tell me it was the American KFC one that was the 11 herbs and spices. Yes, the... that was my counterpart in the States, who what? I'm also envious of. And have you met this man? Yes. Yeah, and yeah. what? how smug was he about this particular social media initiative? Um I'd say he he was pretty smug. He was, <laughs> he was pretty, yeah. He knew how good it was. Yeah. For the benefit of the listener, would you like to explain it? Because I bet you'll do it more justice than I will. Yes. I mean, I, I would love to have been there when they come up with the idea for it because it, it's just a stroke of genius. Um, KFC is famous for its secret recipe, which consists of 11 herbs and spices. So the American Twitter account uh, re- unfollowed absolutely everybody on their account apart from 11 people, um, the five Spice Girls and six men called Herb. Or celebrities called her. <laughs> it's genius. Absolutely it's genius. tremendous. Yeah. And I love how they followed up with it as well. The person who spotted it, which then ultimately made it go super viral, um, they got in contact with him and commissioned uh, an artwork of him riding a horse eating uh, a KFC in like old school Victorian style paint. It's fantastic. Yeah. Um, so we've we've looked at kind of one element of your role. I just want to come into two more bits, if that's all Mm, right. First one is around influencer marketing. So you've mentioned how influencers fall in with multiple different strands of the activity that you're responsible for. We've we've touched upon influencers a few times in this series, not least with the guys from Free Focus Management who have been on. We've got Lucy Lendrum from Gleam coming on a later episode. Where do you think the influencer marketing world is now? Where do you think it's going? Uh, what do you think are the next big developments in that space? I think the influencer um, scene is kind of beginning to peak. I think it's it's grown rapidly over the last few years and everybody is starting to see the benefits of it, including KFC. And we, we do have a quite a vast influencer program that we use. Um, what I do fear is that we're starting to peak um, and then it may plateau for a while and then potentially it may, it may start to become at risk because, you know, the the um, the customers and the people on social media are, are a very intellectual bunch and they, they know when they're being marketed to, which is which is fine. But I think you're you're beginning to see saturation. Um, if you look at some of the influencers that we've worked with in the past, um, when we when we bought them on, they did a few brand pieces here and there, which was great. And we did lots of work with them. Um and, and we have some great results and it's really good. And But you now look at their feeds and it's brand piece, brand piece, brand piece, brand piece. And there's starting to be a huge saturation there. I feel that um, the the viewers of, of that content may start to grow tired of it. If and we're do not you think careful. some platforms are worse than others? Do you think Instagram particularly has a problem? Yes, I think Instagram is probably the lead protagonist mm. in that. I think um, 
it's, it's even more obvious because their whole feed is laid yeah. out in front of you. You can just see product, 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 product. Yeah. Um, that's not the way that we work with influencers. We we don't want them to sit next to a bucket and smile. That's not the way we brief them. Mm. Um, we want people who create content and we want to we want their content to feel natural to their platforms and, and we want them to create content that feels entertaining and isn't a shoehorn of a brand. So anyone we've worked with in the past has been um, a natural fan of KFC already. Um, so it feels more natural to their followers rather than shoehorning it in. But you do see that a lot. Okay. Final bit in this section is I want to have a, a get a sense of KFC's moral code, if you like. Um I, I know from having met you before that there are obviously very strict rules and regulations, but also how strict KFC are at adhering to those rules and regulations. Yeah. I just want to focus on your targeting credentials, your environmental credentials, and then maybe touch on your CSR as well, not least because it was an area that... Until I started researching the brand, I wasn't aware how much went on. Why don't we start with your targeting? Um, there are various rules from, you know, HFSS and, and others that mean that you have to be squarely targeting 16-year-olds and over. Yes. Right? Yes. I mean, those rules um, are only recently actually coming into play. But as a brand and as a responsible brand who uh, is categorized as HFSS, which is high fat, salt and sugar, um, we've we took that stance a very long time ago that we would not advertise to anyone under the age of 16 so um if that's above the line it's no tv channels it's we 100 meters away minimum from schools um on social that means we can age age gate it so that's fine um and that that's been a stance for us for a long time we have no toys we have a kids meal but it's not advertised we don't put toys in it that kind of stuff um now the government is becoming increasingly well there's there's pressure from groups and the government in, in even more so now than ever um with hfs ruling and and it's a hot topic at the moment which means those those rules are going to be even tighter which is is no bad thing um mm -hmm. it will mean some more challenges for us in the future for sure but it's something we're very conscious of anyway and, and we try to act as a responsible marketer as much as possible anyway and let's briefly touch on environmental credentials um I'm guessing there's you don't have plastic toys, so you're kind of one step ahead of perhaps other um, fast food restaurants on the high street. But um, but but are there other steps KFC are taking? A hundred percent. We've been looking at it for a while. Uh, plastic straws, of course, we do have um, an abundance of, and it's something we're looking at. The plastic straws um, issue is is probably the one of the moment, and and everybody is looking at plastic straws and. Of course, it's something we're looking at and we, we desperately want to um, fix that and, and bring in a more sustainable alternative. But there are other areas that we're looking at, too, that actually have vastly greater improvements and, and reductions in plastic. So um, removing source sachets, for example, and bringing in pumps is yep. about four times as much plastic reduction as straws is at the moment. Wow. Okay. Um, uh, the wet wipes, again, almost double as much plastic as, as the straws. So we're looking at removing those and, and bringing in an alternative. So there's a lot that we're doing in the sustainability space and environmental space um, to make improvements. And yeah, you'll be seeing a lot more from us on that stage soon. Okay. And then let's just briefly, while we're feeling good about KFC, jump on mm -hmm. the uh, KFC. It's the KFC Foundation, is it, that I should be talking about? Is that? Yes. Yeah. The KFC Foundation is a charity set up by us um, and it, it's, it's um, aimed primarily at helping um, underprivileged youth within the UK. 
and it's a it's a it's a big part of what we do and um at the moment a proportion of our bucket sales will go towards um that charity which is great and we i'm not sure if i can uh i'm telling you this but if i can't edit it out yeah um We've also partnered with Comic Relief, um, which is brand new, and we're going to be doing a big partnership with them over the next year or so. So that's really exciting for us. So are there any other initiatives that we as that the listeners should be aware of, Josh? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's there's plenty, probably too many to speak about um, in one go, but I think one that we're particularly proud of is our food donation scheme. Um, and, and you touched on it earlier. A lot of the things that I've just spoken about aren't known by the public, so they're quite difficult for us and, and they are quite difficult for us to speak about um the food donation scheme is uh essentially w- when our food has gone past a certain hold time it's gone past what we call its golden period which means it's still perfectly edible but we don't think it's the best quality for our customers so we will take that out and we usually we have machinery and all, all sorts of wizardry tech that makes sure that we don't have too much of that wastage but we do have some wastage, which we're not happy with. Um, so in an effort to both reduce waste and to do good in our communities, um, we will freeze that in, in many of our restaurants, um, and we're hoping to get it across all of our restaurants eventually. We will freeze that chicken and donate it to nearby homeless shelters um, to help feed the community there. Oh, wow. Um, which is a lovely story, and it's a really nice thing that we do, and we fed we fed millions of people to date. But... Like I said, it's a really hard thing for us to talk about. If you if you create your own piece of content, for example, um, which we have done in the past, and and talk about a food donation scheme, it's very um, it can come across as a little self serving. It's and, a less than humble brag, you might say. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, you want you want people to know these good things you do, but you know, you don't want to be patting yourself on the back too much. Sure. Um, and that, and that's where I think the power of influencers and partnerships that that we have is. Is so, so huge. Um, we used to have a big partnership with Unilad, um, and they were tasked around speaking about um, those p- misperceptions that we spoke about earlier. Um, and so they created a video exa- around exactly that, and they positioned it as food waste is an issue in this country. Um, here's what KFC is trying to do to tackle it. And then they tell that story for us using an influencer. Um, and suddenly the the mindset of the viewer is very different. They're far more willing to consume this content and con- to consume the message. And it's a much stronger way of you getting that point across. Because it's it's an authentic tale and not a brand storybook. Exactly. Okay, I'm still here with Josh Benj, who's brand engagement manager across social gaming and partnerships at KFC. We've covered a bit of Josh's background. We've had a long chat about KFC and about his role within there. And we come to the last section of the interview. And that last section is to ask... Josh for his rocket fuel, some practical, inactionable things that we can take and put into our daily lives to better understand and better reach and communicate with youth audiences. So, Josh, no pressure here. Mm -hmm. What do you know about young audiences? Uh, Young audiences. Well, I guess one thing I do know is that um, they don't like to be hard with one brush as youth i know i certainly didn't when i was when i was young um and i saw these uh, old people like you and i no offense <laughs> calling us the youth because um that that kind of strips away any sense of individuality and, yeah. and i think that is super important to the youth of forever but especially today uh, that their individuality and the way that they um identify themselves is super important and and that's partly the reason we do advertise in the way we do, as I mentioned with our territories. Um, 
because you know people want to have that sense of individuality and and as soon as you group um anybody really and 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 give sweeping statements there's going to be pushback against that do you, i mean we we live in an age of brand purpose where where we hear how important various different things are to youth audiences. What do you think are important? What do you think are the things that are important to young audiences? Um, yeah, brand purpose is ever-growing, and it's something that everybody should should have been doing anyway. Mm. I think that, I think every brand should have a purpose um, and, and should be working towards something better. Um, but for the youth of today, I mean, they're... They have more access to information than anybody ever has before, and they have a desire to understand and learn it. So they are way more clued up than any previous generation has ever been. So um, I wouldn't say there's any individual purpose that is outgrowing any of the others. You know, you've got massive um, growth in veganism and environmental. You've got uh, massive growth and in interest in politics and things like Brexit have, have massively stirred that pot. And, you know, I think... The brand purpose as a whole, I can't individually point one purpose or sure. route that should be, um, that that is the one for youth, um, for want of a better term. Same. But I think, in general, um, the youth of today are, are wanting to do better and and do better for the planet and others and people. Um, what has changed about the way young audiences behave, whether it be in their media consumption, whether it be in their behaviours beyond media, and what do you think is going to be the next big change? Um, I mean, consumption of media has gone from big screen to small screen quite quickly. I think it's a misconception that TV is dead. Uh, it's absolutely not, and that's me coming from a social point of view. Um but the way in which we consume TV has changed massively, yeah. uh, especially with things like subscriptions-based services and um, the ability to do it on, on mobile, on a tablet. It's, it's very, very different in the way that things are consumed. And I think the the length of content, we know through studies that um, attention uh, time, average average, average attention time is, is dwindling um, and therefore so is content. And do you think, forgive me, Josh, do you think average attention spans are dwindling or do you just think they're dwindling on screens? Because I would say the rise in the proliferation of podcasts, mm -hmm. particularly with younger audiences. So the Love Island podcast was number one last summer, likely to be number one again. It's it, So younger audiences can cope with longer form content. It's just... Maybe not with screens, frankly. Yeah, that, that is true. And I think it's unfair, actually, to say that attention spans are, are shortening and dwindling and that young people can't sit down for half an hour. That's absolutely not the case. Um, I think that attention span, when it comes to content, um, is changing. And, yeah. and I think that that's as a result of so much content being available to them in so many different places and so many different forms that uh, time is more precious when consuming it than it has, ever has been before. So most people are looking for quick snackable content that they can they can uh, view um, quickly and then move on to the next thing unless they're looking to invest more into something when you do sit down with a film or a documentary or a podcast um, but when you're browsing and you're you've only got a bit of time on a bus and you're yeah. scrolling through like you need short form content to grab that attention who gets it right and who gets it wrong i'm not asking you to name names and shame people but i'm just saying is there any are there any pitfalls that some brands and organisations fall into? Are there any... What's hallmarks of, of brands that, yeah, do it well when talking to youth audiences? Um, 
That's a good question. I think a habit of successful brands with youth is absolutely the way in which they speak to them. I mentioned tone of voice earlier. Um, super important to us as a brand. And one of the key words that you hear us talk about all the time is human. Humanizing the brand, being human, speaking as a human, because you're talking to humans, right? And the brands that tend to be the most successful, at least in social, but probably across across the board, are those that humanize themselves and um, talk as a normal person. It's absolutely key to KFC for us to speak in a way that is normal. Um, and the brands you see that do well, people that I kind of admire, your Paddy Powers, um, Innocent Smoothies are fantastic at it as well. You look at their social accounts and they're really funny, very self-aware, tongue-in-cheek, and they seem to just have great success and the engagement, their engagement scores are through the roof. Yeah. Okay, then. And finally, um, one takeaway for everybody listening. What's the one thing you want people to walk away from our conversation uh, resonating in their heads? I think it's having a curiosity. For me, the the reason for any success that we've had is is that curiosity for the weird and the wonderful and seeking it out. I think um, social media especially, but marketing and life in general, I think it's important to, to stay curious and to keep um, keep trying to find, find out new things and figure out new things and look into the weird and wonderful and find out why they work. Um, on social, it's... It, it tends to be the things that are either a little bit weird or a little bit controversial that work the best. Yeah. Um, but you never know which of your tweets or posts or pieces of content is going to be successful. So um, there's always an innate curiosity and desire to keep trying and keep figuring out, keep trying new things and, and figuring out which one's going to be a thing that gets you viral. Um, yeah. Brilliant. Well, Josh, thank you so much for uh, being this week's guest on Rocket Fuel. Um, if people want to find out more about you, more about KFC in the UK, where should they go to? Yeah, sure. Um, I think uh, on usual social media channels, I'm on Instagram, Josh Benj, uh, or, or uh, follow the Stodgy Waffle. You'll find out quite a bit more about me on that. <laughs> uh, less professional, but um, yeah, it's, it's a good listen if you're interested. So yeah, have a look now. Brilliant. Josh Benj from KFC, thank you very much for being this week's guest on Rocket Fuel. Thank you for having me. I told you Josh would be good. You can check out his own podcast, as he mentions. You can uh, follow him on social media. But before you do any of that, can you forward this podcast to someone that works in youth marketing or youth culture, youth media? Someone that you think will benefit from listening to it. Or give us a five-star rating or review. Or, at the very least, tune in next week for another edition of Rocket Fuel. This is a Rocket Audio production.